It's Thursday the 26th of May 2022 and from day four of the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, this is Radio Davos. More than two and a half thousand leaders from government, business, civil society, academia and the media are meeting in person for the first time since COVID-19 stopped the world. They're discussing the biggest issues from geopolitics to climate change, inequality, technology, the future of jobs, all as history is at a turning point. Watch all the action live or on catch up at wef.ch slash wef22 and across social media using the hashtag wef22. I'm Robin Pomeroy, podcast editor at the World Economic Forum, and with daily podcasts from the annual meeting 2022, this is Radio Davos. So I'm delighted to welcome to the Radio Davos podcast booth for the last time this week, my co-host for today, who is Peter Prangerman, who's Climate and Environmental News Director at the Associated Press. Peter, how are you? Good, thank you. And so tell us about what you do in the role that I've just said, climate and environment, what does that encompass? Well, early this year, the AP launched an initiative to really build out our coverage of climate and environment around the world. The AP, of course, has covered these issues for a long time, but up until now, it was really under the umbrella of health and science and looking at climate from from that perspective. What we're doing now is we've made our own department, uh, which I head, and we're hiring people around the world to really ramp up our coverage of climate change, environmental degradation, biodiversity from all points of view, right? It's not just a science story anymore. It's a business story. It's a policy story. It's a lifestyle story. That's really what we're, we're aiming to do. And so are you here to cover those climate stories here in Davos? That's right. You know, again, AP's always covered Davos and done some climate from Davos. But this year, I decided to come because I really wanted to have a focus on climate change. Before Davos began, I took some time and I went through all the panels and I came to about one third that I counted were related in some way to climate change. So, you know, Davos has a lot of different discussions going on. Climate change is a central one. And I felt it was important that, you know, that we be here. And have you interviewed anyone or met anyone or just heard anyone who's impressed you on the climate story? I would say more impressed just, just by the discussions than any you know, one person specifically. There have been a lot of really good discussions around carbon capture, uh, a lot of honest discussions about where that technology is and, and where it needs to be to really take a significant amount of carbon out of the atmosphere. That's been really impressive. Um, I think the announcement today by the First Movers Coalition was also a pretty significant thing. Um, This is more than 50 companies who have committed to buying green technologies down their supply chains to really send a really strong market signal. How much will that help scale up things in the next couple of years, in the next decade? We'll see, but it's a really large initiative. Well, I'm very glad you've mentioned it because I've queued up a clip here from yesterday's press conference where there was quite the panel, I have to say. Let me read the list of the people here. I'm going to play you a clip by John Kerry, but he was flanked by, among others, Bill Gates, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, Ruth Porat, the chief financial officer of Google. They were all at this launch yesterday. So why don't we take a listen to the US presidential envoy for climate change, John Kerry. We must bring critical technologies to scale much more rapidly than we are today. 
We have technologies. We know how to do certain things. But the market has to begin to embrace that. It did through a government signal on vaccines. And we created the vaccines because people knew there was a purchaser there. We did the same thing with respect to space flight. We said we're going to buy the capacity and we bought the capacity and now there's private space flight. The same thing can happen here. This is a demand signal, one of the biggest demand signals that we could send. And so today, uh, the first movers uh, initiative leaps from the 35 initial, initial companies that came to the table uh, to 55 companies. We welcome these companies. They represent almost $9 trillion of global worth. And so today, with the additional companies, people are committing to buy 10% of a particular product, like green steel or cement. And in addition, shippers, for instance, are agreeing that they're going to build carbon-free ships now, even though that may be more expensive in the beginning. It's going to help to create the demand signal for the market. So that was John Kerry, the U.S. Climate Envoy, talking at the uh, announcement yesterday about the First Movers Coalition. We've covered that extensively on Radio Davos. So yesterday's Day three's podcast, listen back to that. And also we did it when the whole thing was launched at COP26, the climate conference in Glasgow, Scotland, last November. Peter, it looks impressive, but we'll wait and see what kind of impact the First Movers Coalition might have. Is, is that kind of your feeling about it? Yeah, I think that for a number of years, when it comes to climate change, there have been many people who've argued, well, we, we don't have to make really big changes at the policy level because eventually technology will solve these problems. And that has not been the case so far. If you look just in the last years, uh, last year particularly, emissions are up, right? And this is at a time when more and more people are focused on green technologies, on climate change in general, on pushing for some changes um, in legislation. There are many, many debates around what to do and what the future is. So I, I think we have to wait and see the, the First Movers Coalition, how much of this stuff plays out. The parallels that you know John Kerry gave, for example, the scaling up of vaccines, that's true. I mean, they created a COVID-19 vaccine in just record time. Can that be done in a similar way with green steel, green hydrogen, uh, carbon capture, shipping, which is a really tough industry to take emissions out of aviation, another one? I mean, we'll see, but certainly, certainly strong business signs. Yeah. I mean, there's just the complexity of climate change. The virus was unbelievable that they managed to do a vaccine so quickly, an amazing feat, but they were working on one problem and they knew in theory, how to tackle it. Climate change is caused by so many things that are overlapping. So um, that was John Kerry. Um, I believe you interviewed him this week. I did. How did he come across to you? He came across well. I, I followed John Kerry and the things that he says about climate for a long time. What I talked to him about was specific to China. Uh, I wanted to, to get a little more information about a partnership that the US and China is putting together to try and basically on a small level between these countries, find a way to speed up a transition to, to some green technology. So we talked uh, some about that. I also asked him about Build Back Better signature climate proposal of, uh, of President Joe Biden, which is stalled, to put it probably kindly. Some have argued that it's dead, but that we may see some other kind of climate change legislation that's a little bit smaller in scale. 
Special Envoy Kerry said that as much, that he hoped that, that there was still a way to have some legislation. And then I asked him as well about, you know, his plans for the future. He's been in the job uh, a little while and there, there's some speculation that he wouldn't be in this job too much longer. So I asked him that and he said he had no plans to, to go anywhere anytime soon. So looking back then, we're on the last day now. This is your first Davos. So I'm just wondering, you know, what's your impression? You've been to lots of conferences before and big events, I'm sure. I mean, is there anything peculiar or particularly interesting about Davos that struck you? What really strikes me is the accessibility of a lot of the, the people here. Just walking down the corridor and you'll see somebody you recognize. And if you step up and, you know, introduce yourself and give them your card, there's a chance that you'll get to talk to them. You know, maybe it's only for five minutes or 10 minutes, or maybe it's the next day. But that really strikes me because access in general can be difficult. Another thing that strikes me is, is just kind of the willingness of people to, to really talk about issues here. For example, I, I was able to interview Egypt's foreign minister, Samah Shukri, and he is also the president of COP27. And I talked to him about a lot of things related to COP, but one thing that I was very glad to get clarified was that Egypt is going to allow protesters during COP. This, it's just a big question, I think, that a lot of people planning to go to COP27, whether you're a journalist, an activist, you know, whoever you are and you're going to participate, will protest be allowed? And he said, yes, that's something that We've been, you know, working with with our colleagues in Egypt to try to get a sense of for some months. And here at Davos, he was there. I was able to interview him. He told me about the plans that they have for a specific place where people will be able to protest. So it provides a window to different news pieces that can be important too. And you get a feeling, as I do, that this is the first big event of any kind I've been to for two years post COVID. I mean, this is. It's a very unusual, an unusual feeling. It's like the first time you took your mask off in a shop, if you're lucky enough to live in a place where, where that's the situation. Is there an importance to kind of face-to-face -face in the flesh, in real life meetings, do you think? Or could we all save the air miles or the, the railway tickets, as it was in my case, for getting here and just all do this back on Zoom? I think there's a real value in doing things in person. The accessibility that I talked about, uh, you wouldn't have that on Zoom. So I, I think there is a real value. These last years, though, doing so much over Zoom, I think we've learned to work in a hybrid fashion. So I, I wouldn't make any conjecture about the future of Davos, but I think just in general, we'll rethink or think about conferences maybe in different ways than we did before the pandemic. Great. Peter Prangerman, thanks so much for joining us and enjoy your last day in Davos. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. A look ahead to some of the key issues today. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz is giving a special address at 11. There's an important session on the Global Jobs Outlook at 10.30. There's so much more. Take a look at the programme. The Foreign Minister of Iran, for example, will be speaking. There's a wide range of discussions from the brave new quantum economy to the future of global cooperation. Follow it all live or on catch-up at weforum.org. I've picked one session from yesterday to highlight to you. It was called What Next for Global Growth? It was moderated by Tom Keane, the managing editor of Bloomberg Television, and featured economist Mariana Matsukatu, Jim Snaba, the chairman of Siemens, and giving her assessment of the global economy, this is the first deputy managing director at the International Monetary Fund, Gita Gopinath. 
The war in Ukraine has been a major setback to the global recovery. Uh, we had a serious downgrade to global growth in April. And the world continues to face headwinds because we have a cost of living crisis as prices of commodities, including fuel, food, are going up around the world. Central banks trying to tackle this high levels of inflation are raising interest rates very sharply. And that they need to do, but that has consequences for global finance and trade. China is also slowing because of the the new waves of infections that are hitting their population and the lockdowns that go along with it, the weaknesses in the real estate sector. So we have a confluence of shocks hitting the world. Uh, and we are so not out of the woods. But the point I would also like to make is that this is all happening at a time when we have very divergent recoveries in the world. So we have the advanced economies that, based on our projections, will basically get back to where they would have been in the absence of the pandemic in 2024. So literally no output losses. But we have emerging and developing economies that will be around 5% below where they would have been in the absence of the pandemic. And it is this gap that's going along with now a food crisis, a cost of living crisis, the risk of financial turbulence of a much greater scale that's really uh, worrisome. Gita Gopinath of the IMF, on the same panel, Professor Mariana Mazzucato of University College London, had this warning about the type of economic growth some countries might find themselves getting. And what we have in many countries is that we have growth that is private debt fueled consumption led growth. So the ratio of private debt, private debt, we always obsess about public debt, private debt to disposable income is back at a level very close to what it was just before the financial crisis. And guess what caused the financial crisis? That. You'd think we'd all be talking about it. It's hidden. It's, it's, it's not talked about even in election manifestos in terms of what to do to make sure that the bubble won't burst again and how to become resilient. You know, we use this word resiliency, for example, with climate. We're not using it again in terms of making sure that people's incomes are growing. Real wages have not been growing for the last 30 years, even during the COVID-19 recovery, we had, for example, loans being given out to small companies, to people, help to buy schemes. We're talking mainly here about the West. That's not necessarily what you want to do, just pile on even more debt. So I think really for this conversation, the question is, how can we have investment-led growth and have that investment directed towards the biggest problems of our time, the digital divide, pollution, weak health systems? Mariana Matsukato. Jim Snower of Siemens said that while seeking to recover economic growth, policymakers must not take their eye off the ball of tackling climate change. Well, I do believe that while uh, now this uh, Davos and, and the time we live in is time of uncertainty, the, the goal of the decade is still the same. We need to decarbonize all of the value chains in which we operate. And, and so in that sense, while in the short run we have uncertainty, if we keep that goal in focus, we don't need to be then on that uncertain. Now, what does it take to get there? First of all, I agree that you know, policymakers actually create frameworks for business to operate. And the most, um, let's say, sharp knife in the arsenal of policymakers when it comes to decarbonization is to put a global price on CO2. We need to dramatically accelerate the investments in decarbonizing all of the critical infrastructures. This is the energy systems. These are the food systems, mm -hmm. the transportation systems, the healthcare systems. We can make them more affordable 
and we can decarbonize them. And that, in my mind, is the biggest growth opportunity. And I am convinced that those companies who take the lead in driving that through innovation, reskilling their workforce, and engaging in global cooperation, those will be the winners when we come out of this phase. Well, a higher price on coal and oil is a good incentive to uh, rethink the supply chain. Not if you provide the coal or you provide the oil, but if you consume it. And so it suddenly becomes a very good business case to actually think about re Do you think we'll have a seismic change here where finally corporations will be incentivized? I think that we're already at a stage where major corporations invest in this because they can see that it will make them more competitive. We have this wrong assumption and mindset that decarbonization is something philanthropic, some you like green or you don't like green. This is the best business opportunity we ever had. My example is from, from Maersk. Maersk is the largest container shipping company in the world. In 2018, we decided to decarbonize shipping, zero carbon shipping. We had no idea how to do it at the time. Hmm. Only three years later, we now know exactly how to do it. We ordered the first 12 vessels, and we are going to use power to X, which is the conversion of green electricity to mm -hmm. green fuels. And my prediction is that the demand for green fuel is going to be dramatically higher than the supply over the next 10 to 15 years as companies right. go down this path. And that sounds in my business ears like a great business opportunity. And what about runaway inflation? The IMF's Gita Gopinath took on the question of whether demands for higher wages would start a vicious cycle of inflation. This is what she had to say. I've heard people worry about the fact that, well, wages going up is a problem because that can feed into inflation. This is to be very clear. Prices going up are what is what's inflation. You could absolutely have a scenario where wages could go up, but all that means is that corporations have lesser profits and prices stay exactly the same. So let's just be very clear yeah. about that, that, you know, we certainly could see an environment where wages go up, but that doesn't have to necessarily spiral, uh, generate a wage price spiral. You can watch the whole of that discussion on our website and hear the audio on an episode of our sister podcast, Agenda Dialogues. Now, time to break out of the Davos bubble. Here in Davos, I met Lady Mariam Jam. She runs something called I Am The Code, which teaches computer coding to girls around the world, many of whom would not have access to that kind of education otherwise. Mariam and I thought it would be a good idea to break out of the Davos bubble and call a couple of her students and see what they would like to hear from the people meeting here. Here's Mariam. What's about to happen right now, Robin, is really amazing. We are right now watching and listening to Kakuma refugee girls in Kenya who are refugees, and Kakuma is the home of over 258,000 people. And then, you know, we are now talking to them from live from Davos. Hi, Younes, and hi, Adit. Hi. Younes, tell me something about yourself. Where were you born? Why are you living in a refugee camp in Kakuma in Kenya? My mother came here since 1994, and we were born here in Kenya. My mother used to tell me the stories that happened there back in South Sudan. My mother told me they came in Kaukuma because the war was there in South Sudan. So they came here for their safety. I was born in 2005, and I have never gone to South Sudan. I have only been staying here in Kaukuma so that I can study hard 
for me to go back there in South Sudan and change the lives that are there, to stop the war that is going on there in South Sudan, especially in South Sudan, people used to be corrupt. Let's say if you are finished your studies and you want to be employed. There in South Sudan, nowadays they used to give out jobs. If you have your relative, it will be easy for you to get a job. But if you don't have your relative, it will be very difficult for you to get a job. So for me, my career is to become a journalist. And I would like those things to stop going on there in South Sudan for people to live in peace, not saying that if you are my relative, I will give you a job. Let them just equalize everyone and see each one of everyone as her sister or his brother. That's my story. If you could ask a question to the people here in Davos in Switzerland, or if you'd want to hear something from them, what would be your message to them here? My message to them is that they should give us, especially girls, they should give them quality education. You know, people nowadays, they used to say that men are the people who can't do better, but they don't know what a man can do, a woman can do better. So even women have the right to study as well as the men. We don't have a female president. Only we have only one female president who is Samia Suluhu, the president of Tanzania. So I'm working hand in hand for me to become the second president of South Sudan, who is a female. And I hope that I will pursue that. I love the ambition. I wish you all the best with it. I'm going to talk to Adit. Adit, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Brilliant. So tell me something about yourself as well. Have you lived your whole life in the Kakuma refugee camp? We came in Kakuma refugee camp in 2013 when the war broke out. I was born in Sudan, Kinana. During the war, we came to Kakuma. I also lost my father at that moment. When I grow up, I would like to become a leader, a politician. And the main reason why I took that career is that actually I discovered my career when I was eight, nine years. And my father was the one who told me to change South Sudan because especially in getting jobs, everything is corrupt. So he taught me not to be corrupt. If I become corrupt, it's like making other people to suffer the way my father has suffered. So I would like to become a leader to give justice for the people who are not recognized and are not given chance. And I also thank Lady Mariam because when she came to Kakuma, she started giving us courage. And also I am the court has given us words because from there I start even putting more power in my dream and also knowing that whatever I want to become, I will become because from the story that Lady Mariam has taught us, she took my father's place because my father died, but I already have an advisor. I'm really, really sorry to hear about your father. You're talking about I am the code from, from Mariam. I can explain to our listeners, Mariam teaches coding to you girls and, and you can find out more about that from I am the code, her website and the podcast. Adit, can I ask you, what would your message be from Kakuma Refugee Camp to the leaders meeting here in Davos, Switzerland this week? For me, my message is we should not have any inequality. We are supposed to do everything equally. We should not corrupt or discriminate any gender or any person from the color or where she comes from. Also, we should try to help the poor because we don't know why they are poor or the situation. So we should try just to be 
our sisters and brothers keeper and also help each others like the lady Mariam that has done for us. She's a very good example here in Kapmo refugee camp. And what I would like to tell the leaders is that they should not be corrupt. They should not do any discrimination. And also they have to help each others. There's a clear couple of messages from both of you. You're talking about equal opportunities for girls and women. You're talking about fighting corruption and not being corrupt. And you're talking about being kind, I suppose, to to people who are in poorer circumstances than yourself. Are those three clear messages that you would like leaders here to hear? It's also about the business people. Sometimes they used to destroy the environment for that thing. So I would also advise them not to destroy the environment because now... Many people are cutting down the trees and it's affecting the environment. They are just creating this. So as they are doing any business activity or mining, they should also concern the world. I think those messages are really powerful, Robin. What do you think? I agree they are. And I hope people are listening to this uh, on this podcast, which is going out while this meeting's going on. That's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. But I really, really appreciate the time you've spared for us here at Davos, to Yunus and to Adit. Good luck to both of you. Uh, I know you're both studying, you're studying coding uh, with, yes. with Mariam. I hope you can advance your ambitions and do as well as you can. I'm sure you will do. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, girls. Thank you. All the way from Davos. Well done. That was Yunis Olea Lokuju, 17, and 18-year-old Adit Philip Maza speaking from Our Ladies Girls Secondary School in Kakuma, Kenya. This week marked two years since the killing of African-American George Floyd by US police officers, a moment that raised awareness of racism and inequality and the need for change, not just in the States, but around the world. Here in Davos, my colleague Anna Bruce Lockhart grabbed an interview with Philip Goff, professor of African-American studies and psychology at Yale and head of an organization called the Center for Policing Equity. Here's some of what he had to say. Two years after the lynching of George Floyd, Communities are demanding more, and they have seen not enough change. This is part of a cycle that I feel like it's important for anyone who cares about democratic stability to understand. When folks who are the most vulnerable within a community have a spotlight shown on them on their misery, the cycle is usually that people speak out. They credential themselves morally. They make clear statements about their support. Everybody believed that Black Lives Mattered afterwards. And then we try and look at what it would take to shift power so the most vulnerable could have more of a say in determining their own outcomes. And we look at how far we'd have to go before we got meaningful equality. And people get tired and those memories fade and their attention goes someplace else. And then we rinse and we repeat. And so if folks are really interested in making sure that they are engaging in government or engaging in business, governance or business, in ways that prevent the next time that somebody wants to flip cars and light fires, understand this is a cycle. And everything that doesn't take us out of it, that's not a left turn from the ways that we got into it last time, is going to bring us right back around to it the next time. Philip Goff. Every Davos includes a concert, and on this occasion it was cellist Yo-Yo Ma and pianist Emmanuel Axe performing live. If you don't recognise this tune, here is Emmanuel Axe introducing it at the start of the concert, which happened on the evening of Tuesday, day two. I know that we are all engulfed by the horrific events in Eastern Europe. Uh, as it happens, I 
I actually was born in the city that's very much in the news these days, Lviv. Uh, my father was born in the same city when it was called Lemberg, and it was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. My mother was born in the same city when it was called Lvov and was Poland. I was born in the same city when it was called Lvov and the Soviet Union. And now it's Lviv in the Ukraine. Um, of course, I'm not Ukrainian in any way, but I share with the rest of the world the sympathy and the hope for all of the people of Lviv and the Ukraine. And uh, we would like to dedicate uh, the Ukrainian national anthem. As well as the two musicians who also played the Beethoven Sonata Op. 69, the concert called Our Shared Humanity featured a dance performance by Ahmad Jude, an extraordinary artist with an extraordinary story. He was born and raised as a stateless refugee in a Palestinian refugee camp in Syria, and his natural urge to dance was an affront to his father. Here he is talking about the phrase dance or die, which he has tattooed across his neck and which is also the title of his memoir. The first time I said dance or die was not for the war. It was for my father when he was beating me. He tried everything you can imagine to stop me from dancing. He tried to injure me and he tried to stop me from going to school because he learned that I wanted to study in the higher institute for uh, dramatic arts, the dance department, where I am already graduated from. When Ahmad Jude found fame on a Lebanese TV talent show, he found himself the target of Islamist militants. So I was quite well known, and I, that made me a target for extremists, especially like ISIS or Al-Qaeda in Syria. I faced them face to face, let's say gun to face. And yeah, I had a gun in my, in my head uh, three times, and I survived it. Ahmad finally gained statehood in 2019 in the Netherlands, where he danced for the Dutch National Ballet. And now he wants to speak out on behalf of the millions of stateless people around the world. I am super lucky that I am a dancer and I got seen and liked and shared on social media. And that's why I got all these opportunities. But other people, they are still there and they are still struggling and dying and yeah, life is horrible in there. And um, I want to be their voice. I, I, I go to my ballet class every day to, to improve myself and practice to become an elegant voice for them. So the people with this privileged life would listen to me when I ask them just to think of them. Don't think of government or war or something. Think of those people who doesn't have a voice, who doesn't have enough food to eat. Ahmad Jude was speaking to Joseph Fowler, Head of Arts and Culture at the World Economic Forum. That's an interview we plan to bring you in full on a future podcast episode. You can watch the whole concert on our website. Go to the Programme tab of Davos 2022, click on the 24th of May and scroll down to 1800. The concert is called Our Shared Humanity. I hope these daily podcasts have given you a flavour of what's been happening at Davos 2022. Please do dive into the vast programme of events that you can watch on our website, weforum.org. 
Over the coming weeks, we'll be bringing you a ton of audio that we've been gathering here all week. That'll be on Radio Davos, also on our sister podcast, Meet the Leader, and on another sister podcast, Agenda Dialogues. Find them all wherever you get your podcasts and also at wef.ch slash podcasts. And join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with my co-host, Peter Prengerman. Sound engineering was by Juan Toron, editing by Clitzia Sala, and studio production by Connor Smith. We'll be back soon on Radio Davos. Thanks to you for listening all this week, but for now, goodbye. <laughs>